0: Here we are, face to face, a couple of silver spoons, hoping to find we're two of a kind, making a go, making it grow. Back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 86, where we go back, back to, the, to past, the past and read a comic book from the year of publishing. You can find us every Sunday at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or pick us up on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and by double-tapping left on your D-pad. Hmm. We today we're going to be <laughs>
1: We're going to be discussing two, count them, two, issues of Quantum and Woody. The first two issues, a matter of fact. All right. Uh, well, <laughs> written by Christopher Priest with pencils by M.D. Doc Bright. Inks by Greg Adams. Lettering by Comicraft's John Russell. Edited by Omer Omar, Omar Ben Malley and Linair Thompson. Presided over by Fabian Niciesa. Published by Acclaim
0: Valiant Comics in June and July of 1997. Acclaim Comics? Aren't they the hmm. video game guys? Maybe. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later on, but of course <laughs> we have to dispense with the usual biographical information. The fellow that known at this time as Christopher Priest, who choose to be known, chose, chooses to be known as Priest these days, uh, was born James Christopher Owsley on June 30th, 1961, in Hollis, Queens, New York. An interview with Vulture.com in uh, 2018, January of this year, Priest said, It was a fairly hostile environment. I got beat up a lot in that environment. I was mugged in that environment. I had guns pointed at me in anger in that environment. I'd climb into the closet and just close the door and cut my hands over my ears and try to scream out the noise and just cry and go, I hate being poor. I can't stand being poor. But the closet offered another respite, he says. I'd go in there and I'd read comics. It was a big storage area, and I would climb in there and I would put on a little lamp, and that was the only place I could get away from the maniacs.
1: Now, Priest started out as a DC comics fan, then moved on to reading Marvel. He would enter comics uh, as a profession as an intern at Marvel in 1978. He would join Marvel's editorial staff proper The year later, 1979 He worked for Paul Lakin As managing editor on Crazy Magazine And he was the first African-American editor In the comics industry Streetwise, Priest's first solo album Recorded under the stage name Hollis Stone was released on vinyl In 1981 uh, the cover photo, which was taken by Elliot R. Brown, shows Priest standing in front of the Marvel Comics office building at 575 Madison Avenue.
0: A blending of comics and pop music right there. Beautiful. i love to see
1: it. <laughs> Next, Priest assisted uh, editor Larry Hama on the Conan titles. Priest made his professional debut as a writer with the first issue of the Falcon miniseries that ran four issues from November 1983 through February 1984 cover dates. He would begin writing Power Man and Iron Fist with number 11. That's November 1984 cover date And he was also made the full editor of the Spider-Man comic book line from uh, 1985
0: to 1986 Yeah, uh, which was kind of the Beginning of uh, some problems For him uh, yes. Professional and personal disagreements eventually Led to his leaving Marvel in that same Vulture.com interview Then Marvel editor-in-chief uh, Jim Shooter Recalled, he, he wasn't Good at editing, he's obviously a smart Guy, but he had just no interest in bureaucracy And wasn't dealing real well With getting people to work on time and keeping a schedule and that stuff. Uh, Priest recalled it was a terribly unhappy time of my life, both personally and professionally. Putting me in charge of Spider-Man was an incredibly bad call. Saddling me with several beloved staffers as creative talent on books that constituted over 2 million of Marvel's bottom line was a very bad idea.
1: There was also a feeling among Marvel staff that Priest gave preferential treatment to African-American freelancers. According to a post on Priest's blog, which is digitalpriest.com, while waiting for paychecks to arrive, Priest had several black and one white freelancers hanging around his office one day. He recalls, The next morning, my boss, Jim Shooter, appeared in my doorway and, as embarrassed as hell, said others had raised a concern that I was, quote, firing all the white people and replacing them with black people, (laughs) unquote. Uh, He felt the claim had no merit But still, when several people he trusted had come to his office Saying I was having, quote, a meeting With and attempting to organize the black creators of Marvel He felt it was his responsibility to look into it
0: So Priest assured Shooter there was no takeover plan But he was pretty angry He says, I wrote him a detailed memo Subject white supremacy update Identifying every black artist I was using What I was using them for what the duration of the assignment was, and so forth, just so the next time someone comes into the EIC's office, alarmed about a meeting in my office, the EIC would have something to show. I also included Bob Layton on that list, but he, Layton, was so light-skinned, he fooled me. And besides, he knew all the words to the Earth, Wind, and Fire songs. <laughs> so, you know, where, what, while while Jim Shooter's uh, worry may have been unfounded, the reaction was maybe a little over the top as well. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Now, uh, Things really would come to a head when Marvel was working on a project to relieve famine in Africa This was Heroes for Hope in 1985 starring the X-Men by Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson In Priest's own words from his blog, he says Dennis Cohen dropped by and mentioned, amused, that he'd be, he'd seen the list of talent working on the famine relief project There wasn't a single African-American creator invited to participate This actually amused me tremendously And I went over the list myself to make sure But, yep, no blacks had been thought of as Quote, the very best of the very best And none were invited to work on this book Tickled, I picked up the phone and called Larry Hammer Telling him no blacks were on the list Larry was hugely amused And suggested we do our own charity relief book For the poor white trash of Appalachia (laughs) He and I howled with laughter And then shook off the dumbness of it all And got on with our lives
0: only, he continues, a white staffer had overheard part of the conversation. I assumed the notion of my recruiting Hama to do my own alternate charity book, and some warped interpretation of my conversation with Hama got reported down the hall to the X-Men office where the book was being developed. The editors became incensed and loudly demanded my head on a plate for, essentially, inciting the black talent to stop working for Marvel. I mean, this thing got blown to huge proportions, so much so that by the end of the day, it was largely accepted as fact that I was organizing a walkout of black talent, and the EIC kind of put me and the X-Men editor in a room to negotiate a deal. The X-Men Ed, who was likely Ann Nocenti, although he doesn't actually ever say in the blog... Was not amused, and, I, and refused to believe me when I said I had no intention of bad-mouthing the project. I was invited to participate, but I just chuckled and said, No affirmative action, please. And this just set the ed off into a screaming match that could be heard everywhere in the office. What's wrong with you? Why do you have to make a racial issue out of everything? <laughs> That'd
1: be weird if that was Nocenti, huh? Uh, it Isn't does
0: it? seem weird I mean, I, I, I just <laughs> went from who the you know Managing editor was at the time, but it could have been One of the staff, like, it could have been anybody
1: Might have been, yeah, because Nocenti seems like she'd be Into she'd, that. She'd be cool, yeah,
0: exactly <laughs> But okay
1: Now, in that Vulture.com uh, interview uh, Jim Shooter explains I called him into my office and said I have to fire you, and he said Thank you. All right. Uh, Priest would continue writing for Marvel, even after Jim Shooter's departure, but he felt things were too tense there to keep soliciting work. Priest's tenure writing Power Man and Iron Fist concluded with Iron Fist's controversial death. That was the last issue, number 125, September 1986 cover.
0: That was a long run, huh? 11 to 125.
1: Absolutely. Very long run. Now, uh, Priest had a run as writer on Green Lantern. When the character was exclusive to the anthology series Action Comics Weekly from 1988 through 1989 He'd worked with artists Gil Kane and Todd Smith during his first run And then upon his return, he worked with artist M.D. Bright, who we will meet shortly yeah. uh, He moved to uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey and took a job driving Greyhound buses for a few years Yikes. Uh, now, after he left, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends introduced the character Aloysius James Lee in Thor number 391. This is May 1988 cover. This is an egotistical architect clearly based on priest. Uh, now about the character, Priest would say After I left staff, there were issues of Thor That featured a guy named Aloysius P. Jamesley Who was blatantly and litigiously me A mean-spirited Tuckerization that, even I have to admit Was really funny in an insider kind of way Fans might not find James Lee that funny But it was a wicked rip at me, and largely deserved So I didn't make a big deal out of it
0: Yeah, so he took it in stride, that's cool That's Correct. some self-awareness for sure Uh, Now in 1990, after driving buses for a couple of years Priest accepted an editorial job at DC Comics But he did keep the bus driving job as a backup for a little while Just in case Yeah, uh, which actually in that year was probably a very good idea Uh, Editor Mike Gold remembers in that Vulture.com piece It was difficult to hire any black person back then Because it was an old white boys club You get a lot of questions like, why do you want him? Boy, I hear he's not reliable Priest and M.D. Bride would work again on the first issue of Green Lantern, Emerald Dawn. That was December 1989 cover date before Priest departed. In 1993, Priest co-produced live Minister Daryl Cherry and the Covenant Mass Choir, a full concert multi-track recording featuring an 85-voice choir and 10-piece band, including Priest playing bass guitar on two selections. This album was recorded before a live concert audience in New Brunswick, New Jersey. It was during this time he started going by the name Christopher Priest. He recently explained that the name change, which came after his divorce, was because he wanted a more distinctive moniker than what he'd been had for up to that point.
1: And he'd been pretty elusive about it when asked before. I know so it, this is uh, pretty recent.
0: It, you know, going through it, I I saw like he didn't want to. There were times he just said like next question. He didn't even want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, didn't even want to address it. But just recently, he he spilled the beans as much as he did, and that's good enough for me.
1: Sure enough. Now, in 1993, he'd become part of the group of writers and artists, including Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cohen, Michael Davis, and Derek T. Dingle that would launch Milestone Media as a comic book specializing in showcasing characters of color in an all-new universe. They were and still are affiliated with DC Comics. Priest has said that he was a, that he th- th- that Priest had said he was intended to become the company's editor in chief. However, personal problems forced him to scale down his involvement to a liaison between DC and Milestone. After some major editorial tension over Priest's co-owned hero Zero, he left DC Comics. Now it's a pretty strange arrangement because DC owns the character, but Priest owns the stories, and yeah. that seems to be a, like a, the big bone of contention anytime the Milestone contract comes up,
0: which. Is, is this the character zero? I mean, it basically yeah. it means that the character can't do anything unless Priest writes it. Writes it, yeah. Or, or think... <laughs> they'd have to come up with, uh, but then if they, if they did a new origin, there'll be a new character. So uh, it puts it in yeah. a weird limbo. It's very strange.
1: It is, and I, I think that's why, But when when any time Milestone's gonna, like, do its own thing, as I don't think it was limited to just zero. I think that some of the other characters... They are the all same have that
0: way, same so weird deal. Or yeah, true.
1: so it's very, very weird. We probably owe it a weird comic's history, Absolutely, so we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Um, now, just at this time, editor Fabian Niciesa requested that Priest create something for Acclaim Comics, Quantum and Woody. Hey. And uh, we're gonna read some of them just in a little bit
0: right after we talk about doc aka mark d or md bright that's where their name Doc comes from (laughs) was born in 1955 somewhere in america growing up in montclair new jersey he graduated from the pratt institute with a bachelor of fine arts degree in 1974 his earliest comics work was a three-page story in dc's house of mystery in 1978 there are conflicting reports online as to which issue his work appeared in, but they all agree that it was one of them in 1978. Hmm. Uh, although he also might have been uncredited in that issue, so it's good luck uh, figuring it yeah. out. <laughs> his first regular gig was penciling the Falcon Limited series for Marvel. That was November to 83 to February 84, which, as we just mentioned, was written by Jim Priest Owsley. He'd rejoined Priest for the last 11 issues of Power Man and Iron Fist. That's issues 115 to 125, March 1985 to September 1986 cover dates. Bright would become rather prolific during this time, having runs on Iron Man during their Armor Wars story arc. The Green Lantern feature in Action Comics Weekly. That was issues 622 to 635, again with Owlsley. And later, Green Lantern, Emerald Dawn, Emerald Dawn 2, and on to Volume 3 of the ongoing title. Some of that also with Priest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like Priest, Bright would join up with Milestone contributing pencils for the Icon series And then, in the late 90s, he drew Quantum and Woody
1: Hey, and we mentioned Acclaim Comics earlier, so let's let's try to parse that here Uh, Now, to tell the story of Acclaim Comics, we're going to have to discuss two different companies Acclaim Entertainment and Valiant Comics We'll start with Valiant Comics Founded in 1989 by former Marvel Comics editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. Uh, You can uh, listen to more of uh, Shooter's tumultuous trek through the 90s during episode 71 of The Cosmic Treadmill. That's where we discuss Star Brand, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, mostly a Jim Shooter bio. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) And it is available in the archives. Uh, In 1988, Shooter, along with a businessman buddy, Stephen J. Mazarski, got a group of investors together with the express purpose of purchasing Marvel Comics. They would be outbid by that Ron Perlman guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, from there, Shooter and Mazarski would form Voyager Communications, and Valiant Comics would be this company's comics imprint. In 1992, Valiant would release its launch titles: Harbinger, Exo-Man of War, Rye, and Shadowman. They'd go on to win Best Publisher under 5% market share from Diamond in 1992, and then go on to win Best Publisher over 5% market share in 1993. Harbinger number 1 was called The Collectible of the Decade by Wizard Magazine, and in 1993, Valiant Comics and Image Comics put their heads together and eventually cranked out the Deathmate event. Which probably is a story all unto itself, but that's for another time.
1: Indeed. It's crazy that they were the best publisher over five percent market share in a market that included Marvel, DC, and Image.
0: Yeah, well I mean like, they, and Dark Horse and they everything. they then as now make, made high quality comics, you know. They, they did. really did. So did. that that did a lot to it. Absolutely.
1: Now on the other side we've got a entertainment incorporated. Founded in 1987 in Delaware, USA. They were initially a video game publisher only, letting other companies develop game concepts. They also licensed properties and they localized international offerings. The name Acclaim was chosen as it would put them atop a list of publishers alphabetically. This unseated Activision, where company co-founder Greg Fishbach served as president from 1983 through 1986... Which, as, as it would as it would go, is exactly what Activision <laughs> had done years before, when the founders left former top of the alphabetical list publisher Atari.
0: Oh, but when they made uh, the, when they made the company, ah, it was all yeah, over they, no it's all done. You're, you're gonna have to go into like numbers before. Yeah. Uh, now, in
1: 1994, Acclaim saw profits of 481 million dollars. Hey. So, hey, why not go shopping for a comic book company?
0: Yeah, let's acquire some properties. So <laughs> they purchased Voyager Entertainment in 1994. They produced a number of video games based on the Valiant Comics properties, most notably Turok Dinosaur Hunter for the Nintendo 64 in 1997, and he, had, he even has like a, a little bit of a series, right? I know PlayStation yeah, had kind of. him and stuff. But they also did games for Shadow Man, uh, Armourines, Project Swarm, S-W-A-R-M, and Iron Man and Exo-Man of War heavy metal. Valiant Comics would be rebranded as Acclaim Comics though the logo would read Acclaim Comics of Valiant Heroes. Fabian Nicieza would become editor in chief and the trade dress of the ongoing titles was altered pretty dramatically. New concepts such as Nicieza's own Troublemakers hit the shelves and also Quantum and Woody. Hey! And here we are finally to issue 1 of Quantum and Woody from 1997, right? Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. Today, I want to be You sure. got it. June <laughs> uh, 97. Okay. Uh, we open on a flashback scene. Uh, well, really, it's kind of a series of flashback scenes. In fact, the whole book is sort of a series of flashback scenes. It is. Uh, the first of which features young Eric and Woody carrying a dead dog and arguing about who's trying harder to hide the evidence.
1: Yeah, Eric goes, you're not pushing.
0: Woody says, shut up!
1: I'll shut up when you start pushing.
0: They wind up dropping the dog. Woody, nobody told you to kill the dog. Like that's really going to make a difference when your dad gets home. And maybe it's not me pushing, but you not pulling.
1: Woody, my people have been pulling the weight for yours for centuries.
0: Christ, not that miso ethnic crap again. Only cotton you ever picked was the lint balls out of your drawers. But no, go on. Tell me how Harriet Tubman factors into this mess. Then... Let's break into a chorus of kumbaya. You're an idiot.
1: People like you should be sterilized. Belittling a people's struggle.
0: Eric, you live in Connecticut. Your big struggle is sea scallops versus bay scallops.
1: And the boys drag the dog into the basement just as Eric's father arrives home. And it turns out the dog isn't dead. It uh, kind of turns on them. But, But that's where the flashback ends and we jump into... Another flashback just a few years later Mm -hmm. Uh, We we meet up with Eric and Woody Who are trying to peep on a classmate We got Woody standing on Eric's shoulders In order to see into her window
0: Yeah, they're like teenagers now And Woody says, oh my god, she's incredible Let me see Oh wait, she's turning around and Yes, yes, yes Houston, we have liftoff God, I am a man
1: Annoyed that Woody isn't giving him a look, Eric dumps him on the ground and proceeds to climb up the trellis.
0: Oh yeah, black kid climbs up a trellis in Connecticut. That's the move. Okay. Oh, Woody,
1: I'm gonna kill you. This isn't Amy, this is uh, uh, Mrs. Fishbine.
0: My god, what a cow. Gross. This is disgusting. Evil. I got old people naked. I may be scarred for life. I mean, just stop looking in the window, dude. You know what I mean? Like, just, <laughs> no just, kidding, right? Just okay. climb down the trellis. You, you don't, like, forced to look. Just uh, like going fall. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, exactly. It. Woody was fine. Uh, by this point, Amy and Mr. Fish, Mister Fishbind are wise to the peeping, and Woody makes a discreet retreat, literally leaving er- Eric hanging. Another flashback to a Halloween night. Eric is dressed like a superhero or something like a Buzz Lightyear-looking character, and Woody's wearing... Uh, I maybe a Nixon mask could be maybe. a Reagan, some some fleshy-faced character, yeah. and the two of them say, "Trick or, Trick or treat," tree. and
1: they're handed their bounty.
0: What? An apple? In this neighborhood, all I get is a damned apple. Gah! Nothing. I have more than cheap white people. But I like apples. Woody heads over to the cheap white person's car and proceeds to urinate on it. And at the same time, a Mean Street, Connecticut posse tries to steal Eric's candy, but he wipes the floor with him. On their way to the next house, Eric goes, so, give me
1: a Snickers or I pee on your car?
0: This is what I'm saying. And we jump ahead again, though still in a flashback. Woody has run off in the school bathroom. Uh, Woody has run off, but in the school bathroom.
1: Yeah, Eric is with a guy named uh, Keith. And uh, Eric goes, Woody gone. Just like that. Didn't even say goodbye. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the kid named Keith says, Sucks! I used to buy his homework from him. Keith, Woody
1: used to copy my homework.
0: Really? Cool! I got my dad's visa.
1: Forget it. How, how come he just left?
0: Who knows? Maybe it's because you're black.
1: And in our final flashback, for now, we're at the funeral of both Eric and Woody's fathers. Eric is in military attire and is surrounded by family. Woody is in a trench coat, standing off to the side all by himself Their eyes meet and they charge toward one another The scene changes to the present, or at least closer to the present Right. Uh, Eric and Woody are in their quantum and Woody costumes And they clang their bracelets that they wear on their right wrists together We shift ahead again to Eric trying to persuade Woody to wear the uh, superhero boots that he'd created for him
0: Okay, let's try this again Explain it to me like I'm a four-year-old. You are a four-year-old. Yeah, but I don't look like a drag queen, and that's what'll happen if I put these on. And Woody
1: points to his bare foot.
0: This is Woody's foot. And then he points to his booted foot. This is Woody's foot on drugs.
1: Now, despite his arguments, Erica reminds Woody that he owes him for the dog. And so he suits up. In our next scene, we begin getting down to the nitty-gritty. Quantum and Woody are at the police station.
0: Yeah, Joe says, okay, you are Qantas. Quantum. And you are a superhero. Don't be ridiculous. See? Told you everyone would call you Qantas. You sound like that Australian monkey, Eric. Any idea what they're talking about here? The Australian airline, Qantas, used to have a talking koala as a mascot, so... That Close a, enough, a, right? <laughs> a, a, ko- a koala's not a monkey, though, but like maybe... <laughs>
1: Now, Officer Joe Tomorrow asks for the lowdown on finding Eric and Woody passed out on the lawn in front of a lab
0: Woody insists that Joe needs to know the entire story from the start and begins retelling the dead dog story from before And Quantum goes,
1: that's where you want to start? You sure you don't don't go far back enough? Don't you got some prenatal memories?
0: Joe suggests they just start the story at the funeral and so they do We learned that Woody and Eric's fathers were business partners who formed a group called Affirm Research. They also perished at the very same helicopter crash. At the
1: funeral, the boys are confronted by that very same Officer Joe.
0: He says, a little convenient, don't you think?
1: Eric goes, what? What are you trying to say, mister?
0: I'm trying to say I don't think the crash was an accident. Well, no day.
1: Uh Now later, Eric decides to look into a firm research to see what he might that he might uncover that a uh, possible uh, foul play. And as he packs his duffel
0: bag, so O.J. Going after the real killers, huh? I
1: don't think you're funny.
0: Sure you do. What's with the bracelets? Oh yeah, he's uh, wearing bracelets.
1: Found them at the house. In my dad's stuff.
0: Eric explains to Woody that he's off to look into his father's chief assistant, a Count Nefaria-looking fellow named David Warrant. Uh, Woody decides to tag along, and they stake the man out as he goes about his mundane daily routine. And uh, we mean it when we
1: say mundane.
0: Yeah, the, Woody says, This man's an onion, Eric. I never knew life could be so dull.
1: And what if that onion killed our dads?
0: They argue a bit more with Woody suggesting that Eric shouldn't be hogging those bracelets. After all, They could have belonged to his father
1: Now they wrestle a bit in the car With Woody managing to wrangle one of the pair In the struggle they lose Warrant So they decide to head For their father's labs to see if he went there And as luck would have it he has
0: Hey it all worked out (laughs) Back at the police station uh, Now in the present I guess uh, Joe asks if he (laughs) might take a look at the bracelets
1: Yes, Quantum goes That's not possible
0: Uh, Yeah they um uh, Don't come off
1: and they explain We go back to Flashback and they've infiltrated that lab But they cannot locate Warrant
0: We've been all over this joint, Eric Shh, keep, keep your voice down Okay, how's this?
1: They argue a little bit more And then Woody starts cranking some
0: YMCA A uh, remake of YMCA With uniform crash spray of course, of course. Right.
1: Um, and Eric shoves them to the ground as they enter the area with their father's electromagnetic containment. Who's he? What's
0: it? Substance or other, yeah. <laughs> Just what the hell is your problem?
1: I'll tell you what my problem is, idiot. My father is dead, and it's all some kind of joke to you. Everything's always a joke to you. Your whole life's been one big pool party.
0: That's really what you think, isn't it? You and your prep schools in West Freaking Point. You're self absorbed, Eric. And now we flash back to Eric chatting with the Keith kid In the restroom after Woody flew the coop
1: Eric goes, how come he just left?
0: It's probably because you're an N-word And yes, they say the N-word They use the actual N-word, but we do not
1: We do not Uh, Now, Woody is aghast that Eric thinks that he left Because he was ashamed of having a black friend
0: What? What kind of idiot are you? You never called, never wrote me and Woody slugs Eric in the face and says I never knew your phone number, you moron I live next door to you When did I ever call you on the phone? I never wrote because my mom said you moved away
1: Eric reels back and goes to tackle Woody And he goes, my, how convenient And you couldn't pull yourself away from the sun deck long enough to find out?
0: You had a sun deck, jerk I had a fire escape
1: Eric thinks Woody's full of it, since they both grew up rich. Uh, They continue pummeling one another until they notice that Warrant has snuck in and locked them in the room with that electromagnetic doohickey.
0: Yeah, he flips the switch, and the boys kind of begin to dissipate.
1: Yeah, Eric goes, The chamber, the field modulators must be transforming us from matter to energy.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I'd probably come up with, Ah! Or something similar.
1: Eric proceeds to pound on the window, shouting to Warrant, Warren, Warren,
0: Warren, Warren, damn you No, no, keep screaming, he'll change his mind
1: This earns Woody uh, another sock in the mush (laughs) Uh, They fight a bit more before accidentally clanging their bracelets And the next thing we and they know, they're outside the lab, in the lawn We hop back to the present, and uh, we're in the police station again
0: Yeah, Officer Joe says, okay, tell me about the costumes, the names and Woody says, well, that's another story
1: But first, a flashback Woody and Eric are young teens eating at a McDonald's alike Woody is explaining the difference between Eric and Amy Fishbine Using shakers of salt and pepper Since, you know, Eric's black and Amy's white
0: Oh, very convenient Yeah While they're eating and chatting A busload of kids from the South Bronx is getting ready to head back While Eric attempts to chat up Miss Fishbein uh, Woody chats up the bus driver, heavily implying that his black friend should pop probably be on that bus.
1: As <laughs> Eric's pulled away, he goes, "But, but I live here."
0: And the bus driver says, "Sure, right. Come on, kid, on the bus."
1: Now back to the story. Quantum uses a grappling gun to send a line up the side of a, a guy named Frank Marshall's apartment building. He then climbs up, Adam West Batman style.
0: <laughs> Woody says, "You have to be kidding. Climb the wall." Yes. Twenty stories up. Yes, Eric. Who does that? Who exactly? We're gonna end up on Monte Williams or ah, Jerry Springer next to the peg legged hermaphrodite Rabbi.
1: Yes, this did come out in the late '90s. Why do you ask? Yeah,
0: I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, Woody finally gives up, gives in, and up the wall they go. Climbing, however, gives him one hell of a wedgie. As they near the top, they find themselves the target of a pair of super soakering teenagers.
1: And one of the kids yells down, Hey, mister, stop digging in your butt!
0: The fellas lose their balance and almost take a header to the ground. And Woody's foot gets wrapped up in their grappling line, and he manages to grab Quantum by the ankle before he can plummet. The kids continue to, to super soak him, and they've drawn the attention of an officer.
1: Yeah, the officer goes, Look, all couples go through rough spots. I'm sure you can work this out.
0: And now a crowd begins to form, and they yell, Jump, 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 jump jump. That's it, Eric, I'm going to shoot you
1: And then Quantum goes,
0: Officer, we're not jumpers And we're not a couple We're investigators And we're not a couple Working on the Palmer case And we're not a couple
1: the The fellas pull their stuff together and continue looking for Marshall's apartment Upon locating it, Quantum reels back and attempts to smash through the window Unfortunately, it's made out of Lexan Now Lexan is kind of like You know, you call Kleenex tissues uh, It's kind of a leading brand name For this kind of uh, polycarbonate Resin thermoplastic With an impact strength 250 times Greater than normal glass
0: That said, Quantum just Whoops into it Without breaking through Woody decides the best course of action might be To unload his pistol into the Lexan window (laughs) But oh yes Lexan is also found in bullet-resistant glass, so the shots just ricochet off it.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, back in the present, Officer Joe is just as confused as we are.
0: So, how did you go from being KO'd on the lawn to climbing Frank Marshall's wall? Yeah, really. And so, another flashback.
1: Now, we're in Woody's apartment as he's awakened by the uh, knocking at his door. He gets out of bed, and we can see that his bottom half has transformed into energy. He answers the door, and it's Eric.
0: Eric? Notice anything different? The mustache. Nice touch. Wait, you already had that.
1: Woody, you have no legs. We're reverting to energy again. And uh, Eric is wearing a trench coat, under which he, like Woody, has no legs.
0: Eric grabs Woody and leads him outside so they can repeat what they did back at the lab and clang their bracelets. Woody becomes overjoyed and hugs Eric, and worth mentioning that since he just got out of bed, Woody is in his underwear
1: mm-hmm. Some guy from, from off the panel yells
0: Hey, you two, Get a room, will you?" Uh, well, we're not a couple Anyway, uh, <laughs> in the present Woody says, we're not a couple We're not We are, however,
1: linked through our control bands We've tried everything, but they won't come off They've somehow bonded with our molecular structure Woody's and my band Must link up once every 24 hours Or our energy matrix begins to break down
0: Into another flashback, this time at a lawyer's office to hear about their father's respective estates. Woody says, You mean, you and me? We're linked? Stuck with each other for life? I just want to bury my dad, grab my half of the estate, and split.
1: A lawyer goes, I'm afraid it's not that simple, Mr. Van Shelton. During your parents' divorce proceeding, the judge asked you which parent you wanted to live with.
0: Hey, I was 11. What did I know?
1: Your father, resentful of your choice, extended the customary age 21 trust fund payout Two years for every year you lived with your mother
0: But I lived with mom for 12 years
1: Which means your father's estate will be paid out to you 24 years after your 21st birthday
0: Woody freaks out and the lawyer informs him that he'll have limited access to the funds That was the state's his estate's executor, Eric Eric's father was listed as Woody's legal guardian if anything happened to Mr. Van Shelton. And since both dads have died, Eric gets the honor, which is not how I actually think it would work, but that's fine. Probably not. For comic (laughs) book purposes, we'll allow it.
1: We will allow it. Uh, Now, Officer Joe tries his damnedest
0: to get this story back on track. The costumes. The names.
1: And the fellas finally get down to the nitty gritty. Kinda. Uh, now, a few days have passed since uh, the, the the bottom halves coming out here, and uh, Woody decides to visit Eric with a proposition.
0: There should be more. We should be doing more. We have this power, Eric, and we're sitting out here on Long Island, when every day people are suffering in the city. People we can help. People who need someone to stand up for them. Back in the present. So, you talked him into becoming what? A superhero? And Woody says, actually, I thought we'd put up some neighborhood watch signs, hand out flyers, and what's that crime dog's name again? But Eric never does anything halfway.
1: And so, back in Flashback Land, we join Eric and Woody at the local costume shop. Eric greets the salesman with, I need a costume. Salesman says,
0: you don't say! Something black
1: and form-fitting.
0: I'm all out of black spandex. How about something in a nice aqua blue chiffon? And Woody says, hey, hey, we're not a couple.
1: Eric and Woody then try on a few familiar outfits, especially if uh, if you know uh, Christopher Priest's bibliography. Uh, First, we have Eric dressed as Power Man and Woody dressed as Iron Fist.
0: Then it's Eric as Falcon and Woody as Green Lantern, though the costume is blue.
1: And then Eric as Icon And Woody as Rickish uh, as Rocket From Milestone
0: And this last one, we're not positive It looks like Eric as Iron Man And Woody mm-hmm. as wearing Quantum's outfit version <laughs> kind of it, right? blue, I'm not really yeah. sure Yeah, but uh, something weird Now, uh, after deciding that the costume shop Doesn't have quite what they're looking for They leave to create their own crime-fighting outfits
1: Yes, Eric in costume Goes, my code name will be Quantum After the energy pool we both draw from <laughs> I suppose you have a better idea What code name will you be using? Hmm,
0: criminals are superstitious and cowardly I think I'll call myself Woody
1: Eric stares daggers at Woody Until Officer Joe once again Brings us back to the present
0: So, this business with Marshall This is your first case then
1: In our final flashback, Officer Joe has his first run-in with Quantum and Woody while in their working clothes, and they're at a murder site in an apartment. Now, he's not terribly pleased that they're on the case, to which Quantum more or less tells him, deal with it. We close out, back in the present, Joe is very curious about how their martial investigation
0: went. Now, see, that's yet another story. But not
1: for us. Nope. Uh, we're only doing the first two. Uh... We're
0: gonna pull the plug there, but uh, you know, definitely it did go on for many, many issues. How many issues? Mm. I guess we'll find out in a minute. Uh, yes. Twenty-two issues. Matter of fact, we'll find out. But uh, <laughs> I like this. I thought it was pretty interesting. Yes. I, the first time I saw it, I know that you're familiar with it. Uh, but this first time I looked at it. And by the way, it's worth saying that like uh, Quantum wears a crazy blue, blue and white. Spawn meets Dove suit what you call it that that's how i look <laughs> very at it.
1: very very apt
0: whereas yes. whereas what where do you sort of like buckaroo bonsai with a gun uh or yes. something uh he's more like a retro uh futurist oh he does some, like kind a, of, he, some kind of a superhero something or other under there but he's just wearing under a his coat
1: yeah his, he's wearing uh, like a bomber jacket ish type thing
0: so they they look they look like the very mismatched pair that they are but uh I thought this was this was solid, and even this time reading it, I genuinely laughed. I genuinely thought there were points that were funny, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't call it wiping my eyes funny, but I don't know if I've wiped my eyes funny in a long time. <laughs> uh, solid stuff, though. It's cool. I, it makes me want to read more of it. Um you know, and luckily, I can do just that now. Luckily Indeed. for me. When yeah, did you, when did you come of... into this? Did you get it when it first came, came out? I
1: right as it was coming out. It was uh, one of those wizard books, you know, where a uh, wizard mm-hmm. was kind of, they dedicate a little page to to this, you know, odd book. And uh, as luck would have it, as I was getting into it, uh, Christopher Priest was at a local store signing. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, so it was the first and only time I've stood online to have someone sign a book. And yeah. Uh, he signed issues one and two for me. The book, the books we just discussed. Look at that. So I, so I've got them in the long box now. With uh, even filled out a certificate of authenticity. So,
0: oh boy! Well, yeah, sure. Like Not kind of messing around. Well, uh, these issues don't really go for a ton on the open market without no. the signature. But we'll see. Maybe you could. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you could turn that into something. But uh, did you, you eventually collect the whole series, or? Oh yeah, yeah, I've got. Yeah, the whole I figure why would you? You don't tend to do things halfway in this. Unless... <laughs> I don't. If it's if it's stunk, we wouldn't have even been talking about it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, cool, cool thing, and uh, you know, lots to say about it. We'll probably get more into it as we talk yes. more about the authors, uh, or the creators, and we'll do that right now.
1: Now we're going to go back to Christopher Priest And we will close out this volume of Quantum and Woody for now It ran 22-ish issues from June 1997 through January 2000 cover dates Now Priest based these characters partly on those played by Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson In the film White Men Can't Jump Uh, Jump ahead to October 2012 Valiant Entertainment announced it would release every previously published Quantum and Woody issue Via digital distributor Comixology there was also talk of two unpublished issues, but they have not materialized as of yet. In 2013, Valiant Entertainment began publishing a reimagined version of the characters written by James Asmus with art by Tom Fowler. And in this version, they don't they don't have two fathers. They were actually adoptive brothers.
0: Yeah, it's uh, very different in tone and look. Uh,
1: we'll get to that in a little while.
0: Yeah, I couldn't say anything about it, but I, I did say I took a peek at it. Uh, Now, Priest returned to Marvel in 1998 and wrote a seminal run on Black Panther, most of volume number three. That would be issues one through 56, 59 through 62, uh, November 1998 through September 2003 cover dates. Much of this is what they used for Marvel Studios' Black Panther movie in 2018 that came out only a few months ago uh, prior to this recording. Then Priest took some time off. In Vulture.com, Priest says, it felt like I was just wasting my time. What's the point? Everything I do gets canceled, and I'm never going to be put in a top tier book. Beginning in 2005, he became a Baptist minister, did web design, and some wrote some fiction and nonfiction books.
1: Yeah, he also did a run on Deadpool following Joe Kelly's, where uh, he kind of made a joke of the the priest curse, where you know Deadpool starts off at like a like an RV park or a trailer park with uh-huh. all of uh, priests characters in it, uh-huh. <laughs> and I think. The goat from Quantum and Woody shows up in there All right. And uh, it's just a, a gag On everything that he writes getting cancelled Basically um, Now he would return in 2014 to write Quantum and Woody, it was Q2 The return of Quantum and Woody miniseries For Valiant Entertainment uh, Priest would become the regular writer for DC Comics Deathstroke with Rebirth in 2016 And he's currently the writer On Justice League He, would con- he contributed a story to the Black Panther Annual number one that was released In February 2018 And as mentioned, uh, Priest is an ordained non-denominational minister, and he lives currently in Denver, Colorado.
0: Yeah, uh, there was also something we didn't get to. It's interesting, he gave an interview when he got the the jobs uh, writing for DC for Deathstroke, and that they Hmm. wanted to give him, I don't remember, maybe Steele, a black character. Yeah. And he was adamant that he would not do it.
1: He didn't want to be the black character writer. He didn't want to be the
0: black character writer, and he went into a long uh, explanation of that in a an interview that wasn't this vulture vulture.com interview frankly we should have put it in here but for kind of neglected to but uh interesting stuff you know i, I think he mm-hmm. saw himself getting pigeonholed uh and he was and one way and absolutely was yeah. and, you know and and we have a current climate where you have to resemble the character you're writing uh <laughs> seems like and it and i think i think he he, ref, he refuted that he's like no uh, you know i want to write superman and he has written superman he's written mm-hmm. Now, I mean, now he's written... Justice League. Justice yeah. League, so he's written all of, all of the main characters, in a sense, but uh, yeah, I, I, I gotta say, you know, this guy uh, doing the research, very contentious, a very opinionated fella. Sure. But when... He's earned it. When given, <laughs> he earned it, he earned it, and plus he, has, he, he paid his dues. When given the opportunity to elucidate, to, to, to expand, I found myself agreeing with his point of view, or at least you know, empathizing with his with his Absolutely. point of view more than not. Uh, this is this is a real talented, bright dude, and I wouldn't be surprised if we revisit more of his work in the future.
1: Oh, yeah, he's he's fantastic, and, and like you said, it's it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> he's a, He can write funny. Um, we're going to jump across the table and wrap up Doc. Now, Bright would produce art for Bill Jemis' masterpiece, Marville, in 2002. Uh, <laughs> Bright would then move on and focus on storyboarding for live-action television and films, perhaps most notably M. Night Shyamalan's uh, The Last Airbender. He isn't necessarily done in comics, though after Marvel, we... Probably couldn't blame him. Uh, He has dipped his toe back in here and there. Uh, He did storyboarding and some concept designs for small films and commercials. And uh, he also keeps his own Christian-themed comic strip called dot 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 level path on his website.
0: Okay, that's just dandy, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about uh, the Acclaim Comics and the fate of Quantum and Woody and the fate of Acclaim Comics. As mentioned, the first volume of Quantum Woody would run for twenty-two ish issues. There was a fifteen month delay after issue number seventeen. When the book returned in nineteen ninety-eight, it shipped with a number thirty-two, playing as though it was being published all along. Subsequent releases though would fill in the blanks. Only a few of those interim issues ever were ever released, which is probably very frustrating. For a guy like you that has a long box (laughs) Uh, Though as mentioned Rumor has it two more are completed And might eventually be made available digitally
1: Now Acclaim stopped producing Comic books in late 1999 In 2004 Largely due to the NFL football uh, Video game license becoming exclusive To Electronic Arts and their Madden NFL Series Acclaim would file Chapter 7 bankruptcy In 2005 several valiant Slash Acclaim properties were auctioned off and purchased by a group of investors, who would go on to form Valiant Entertainment. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> it's a circle of life. Right. Uh, now, as mentioned, Quantum and Woody would pop back up in July 2013, and it was something. Um, Priest and Bright would reunite for Q2, of the return of Quantum and Woody miniseries, the following year, and uh, they, 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 were something too. <laughs> now, currently, oh, they're giving the property yet another shot, and it's still...
0: Something it exists. It is a comic book. The uh, critics say, available as a comic book, and well, it actually, exists. It's, it's,
1: <laughs> it's actually critically, acclaimed, critically uh, acclaimed. I but I, I that. and I just I don't I I don't understand it because it's like we mentioned here. Priests was a was a good book that was also funny, and now it seems like they're writing a funny book without mm. worrying about it being good. Yeah, and there are so few people on this planet who are actually funny.
0: We we had we that... had a kind of a longish discussion about this yesterday. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's well in in older interviews when I was looking doing the research, uh, Priest said that actually it wasn't that older interview. It was somewhat more recently, but he said that when he wrote the original Quantum and Woody, he wasn't trying to write a funny book. Yeah, he had an idea for these characters, and you know there was obviously going to be humor. They were based on the uh Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes characters from uh White Men Can't Jump which is they they have a a rapport between them a banter them, yeah a banter but it's not a comedy movie and and the two of them are not the same this is definitely a more of a straight man and a, a Jerry Lewis you know a, a funny sure. guy type of thing going on but uh and and this now is us really extrapolating just going into our own heads about it but I feel like the characters are built from the ground up uh, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, he alluded to a lot of aspects of, you know, Woody's life and why he why he had to leave so abruptly. And there's aspects, you know, but obviously, as you go into this, you learn more about their lives. It tells me priests had built a com- two complete characters that when they talk, they are they happen to be funny. you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't yeah. need he doesn't have to do joke first. He has to do story first. And in that, the in the dialogue will be funny if you're true to the characters. whereas sure. today, They'll say, "Let's let's make Hangover the movie into a comic book." You know what I mean? Like yeah. that literally yeah. has to be the template or whatever. I mean, I just picked a movie out of, out of my hat. Sure, but, sure. Uh, but this this seems a little more crafted in the old, the old ways, as we call them, the old methods.
1: Yeah, uh, it makes it makes me think of like anytime they try to mine like beloved runs on anything. Yeah, like like the the, the example I said yesterday was anytime anybody goes to the Boahaha Jli. It's always it's it 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 doesn't have the heart. It's just here's gags, here's Batman punching Guy Gardner. Yeah, and that's that's now laugh, laugh now, because that's that's what you do. And it just is it's so soulless. I mean, and uh, simplified.
0: As as we know, the comic book industry does not understand the concept of diminishing returns, so we know why (laughs) they are constantly doing the same thing. But you know that Batman punching Guy Gardner. And then later on, he. Probably, I think did he ever punch John Stewart? And then he punched Hal Jordan. In Hal, first, he punched Hal a few times. Uh, yeah. Which has become its own its own running out gag, but definitely the yeah. guy Gardner. Like, there was a reason behind it. You know what I mean? And yeah. and it was true to those characters. It wasn't just like mm-hmm. you know a it, joke. It became a joke. It became its own punchline. But when it first happened, it made sense in the story. And yes, and yes, it was funny. But it was, you know, Batman was reacting to Guy Gardner just being a constant blowhard, and uh sure, and it was like the kind of reaction. And I felt the same way, you know, when he punched Hal, uh, you know, after uh, what are they, Green Lantern Reborn after Rebirth, yeah, uh, Rebirth, yeah. He, you know, he he was the one that was like, I'm not forgiving him for killing all those people, and that's uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to let him know. So anyway, that's uh going into a whole different property. But I get the impression, you know, like I feel like. Back in the long ago, when you made a new character, you thought of like, all right, where was this character born where, where did they go to school what were
1: you wrote like? a Bible yeah, yeah.
0: It, even if it was in your head, you were really like, what is their favorite color? what are their favorite mm-hmm. food whatever like how do they and so when you went to the thing, you could bring all that to bear i don't feel like that is as common anymore yeah, it's I, I think it's like uh let's make." Whatever it is, let's rip off something the other company did, or take something from TV. Yeah. So,
1: just the the property is just now pigeonholed as this is the funny book, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's largely not. Yeah. Um, and it's also largely not for me.
0: I <laughs> agree. We should <laughs> definitely bring back Steve Ditko's original Squirrel Girl, but we will uh, <clears throat> de- deviate from that and uh, yes, take deviate from comics entirely for a moment. Well, not entirely, but mostly, and talk about uh, from the world's worst superhero team. To the wor- one of, Some of the world's worst video games, and some that aren't so bad, frankly. I think, I think we're going to be a little rough on them, but uh, Acclaim did make some of our favorite uh, crumbtastic games. <laughs> well, at least published them, yes. That's right, or published them, too. I mean, later on they acquired a company called LJN, which is phenomenal, known for making some of the worst ever games. Mm-hmm. Didn't even get into those games for this. We just went with the straight, you know. Um, oh, God, we'd be talking forever. Yeah. It would be, it would be, we'd have to open up another podcast. But uh, <laughs> first, we'll talk about Tiger Heli, and we're talking about the NES version that came out in 1985. This is a vertical scrolling shooter where the player controls a helicopter, taking on hordes of enemies, which include tanks, battleships, and artillery. But oddly, there are no flying enemies in the game. So it's it's <laughs> like 1942. But you're not Mm -hmm. fighting any planes; you're just shooting them down. Uh, It's also kind of annoying because there's three lives, but there are one-hit kills and unlimited Mm -hmm. ammunition, so it's at once very easy and very frustrating at the same time. Yes,
1: we got Wizards and Warriors, which was a series started in 1987 on the NES. This is a, uh, I believe these were done by they they were developed by Rare.
0: Rare did, Um, yeah, but Acclaim, yeah.
1: They got the publishing rights there. Um, now this is a plat- platformer similar to Ghouls and Ghosts, but you know, without the tight play control. Right. <laughs> really just much much worse. Uh, your character is a knight in armor who hops around and swats at various characters with a lance. And when we say swats, you'll, you'll have to look it up. Just it's just, literally uh, the sw- the just waggling a sword. <laughs> Now there are different power-ups in the game, granting a power temporarily, temporarily jump boosts, ranged weapons, and etc. By far, the stupidest is a cloak of invisibility, which makes the main character invisible only to the player.
0: Yeah, it's so, with a you I, still I, take damage. I actually loved this game as a kid, and uh, <laughs> but I was always like at the first I got that, and uh, at first I even got to a point where I could understand because basically what it is is your character is always centered on the screen, right? So you kind yeah. of learn to figure out how to, like, judge the screen. But then I realized that the other creatures keep attacking you. They still sense you. So yeah. what is the point? It's like just to make it really hard for yourself for, like, a minute, you know? It's so weird.
1: No, the uh, title screen, as is uh, worth mentioning, has one of the best songs in 8-bit music, though.
0: Yeah, I'd almost redo it, but I don't have that kind of uh, beat boop <laughs> skill. But, yeah, I love that song. Uh, Rambo came out for the NES 1988. I think it's had an arcade version too. Am I wrong? Maybe it
1: did. Uh, I'm sure they had arcade versions of Rambo, but it wasn't
0: this game. It wasn't this game, because this game yeah. was, was the port was especially bad. Uh, this
1: is basically Zelda 2 with Rambo as Zelda
0: 2, and it turned into Ikari Warriors at the very end, but a really <laughs> bad version of it. Uh, the game starts off with Colonel Troutman asking Rambo whether or not he wants to leave the prison and start the mission. Mm-hmm. Players are given a choice, but they cannot advance in the game unless yes is chosen. So you can sit yeah. there and just shoot no all forever. day, forever. Just mm-hmm. like, no, I'm staying here. <laughs> uh, enemies include helicopters and giant spiders, which is just as you have heard about the Vietnam Just War. like the movie. Right, mm-hmm. uh, exactly. And uh, the ending sequence allows the player to throw a giant kanji character for anger towards Murdoch after returning to the base, which turns Murdoch into a frog. Also, just right? like the movie, exactly like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the American version concludes with the word end. On a black screen. (laughs) Very, very foreign film. I'll tell you, I like it. Mm -hmm.
1: And and you know that that's what. Whenever I beat a game and you know spending hours and hours and hours trying to beat a game and learn it, it was the most satisfying thing in the world. Just seeing the word end End on a screen, right?
0: A winner is you. That was another (laughs) good one.
1: You know. (laughs) We'll jump over to Double Dragon. uh, The Double Dragon line. We're going to talk about two. The Revenge, 1988, NES. A sequel, of course, to the beat-em-up classic, Double Dragon. The arcade version of this game is essentially an improved version of the original title. The NES version is also an improvement over the NES port of the original Double Dragon, in that it finally allows two-player co-op. But the good times stop there. Uh, You know, in the first Double Dragon, you could do two players, but it was like a fighting game. You would do like a one on one fight,
0: yeah, yeah, you could actually you fight each other, but you couldn't yeah rolled out and beat up uh, the hordes of guys coming at you, yeah,
1: indeed Now, the handling here is notably clunkier, and the levels deviate from the arcade version wildly. the interior of a moving helicopter, an undersea base, and a series of trap rooms to name a few. Uh, despite a wider variety of enemies, they still attack only two at a time. And most frustratingly, whenever the players defeat one group of enemies, all weapons on the screen disappear including any that the players are holding.
0: That used to annoy me so much, but you learn to, mm-hmm. like, use them right, you know what yeah. I mean, to time it. That's how you end up making it work. Uh, this is a venerated series. We'll talk about the one title that was hm. really crappy, but this actually got very good, this <laughs> series. WWF WrestleMania for the NES 1989. The first WWF licensed NES game and the second WWF game overall, the first being Micro League Wrestling.
1: I think that was Commodore 64 micro league.
0: Probably exactly as good as watching wrestling, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> released just months prior to WrestleMania 5, this was intended to help build up to that event. The game's title screen features the tagline for WrestleMania 3, which is bigger, better, badder. Game features six wrestlers Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Macho Man, Randy Savage, The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Bam, bam, Bigelow and the Honky Tonk Man all stumbling around the ring, awkwardly slapping and kicking each other. Pretty mm-hmm. much, I think there was one off the top row move for some of them. I
1: don't even. I'm not even sure if there was. <laughs> there might
0: not have been. It was. It was not great. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: I know you had to like decode the Rosetta Stone to pin somebody in that game. Yes, it's like...
0: <laughs> yes, you're right. It, it was. It was really hard to pin. You had to like by their feet i don't remember oh thing, so weird yeah i eventually did learn it and uh as as we talked about when, when we did the uh ww wcw book right the uh hmm. yep. was it wwe what well, i thought it was uh, wcw wcw yeah. uh this is where i was most familiar with wrestling is in the games and i remember this mm-hmm. game really well and thinking to myself how could they not have improved on nintendo pro wrestling <laughs> Which is yes. it's just like light years A much better game that came out like Absolutely. Three or four years before I was like what <laughs> happened here But eventually this line did get really good I gotta say as you get into the later later systems They got some good WWE and Decent WCW stuff games yeah.
1: yeah. uh, We're gonna talk about NARC 1990 NES Now the NARC ar- arcade game is one of the craziest Most graphically violent video games ever Including the photo capture technology Used in Mortal Kombat A one or two player co-op platformer Where cops murder hordes of junkies Picking up money and drugs as bonuses The NES version of NARC Was billed as quote The first video game with a strong anti-drug message Okay (laughs) However (laughs) however, Nintendo forced all drug references To be removed (laughs) from the actual gameplay
0: but they were cool with the blood. Yeah, the blood is fine, but the... It's uh, fine. And, and, I mean, you, have, you almost have to see it. You gotta find some footage of this thing. Because in the arcade, it's like you kill a guy, and he explodes into bags of crack and money. Tr- and, like, <laughs> <his> <laughs> syringes. I mean, it's cra- it is crazy, you know, but... Uh, yeah, NES didn't even, didn't even have that. They were just, like, nope. regular hoodlums.
1: <laughs> now, the NES version looked... Pretty cruddy, and uh, gameplay suffered from only having two buttons, of course, because the arcade had six.
0: Yeah, it was really difficult. I remember I had it because I loved the arcade game so much. Mm. Uh, the Simpsons: Bart versus the Space Mutants, 1991 NES version, and I think it was the only version. Come to think yeah. of it, uh, this is another sky scroller that would have played great at the arcade, but in, oh well, the arcade version received high accolades. The NES version, however cloned only the first level from the arcade and the remaining levels were primarily puzzles and uh not very difficult ones either.
1: And yeah, this was a pretty awful game.
0: Um the early yeah. I remember the early Home Simpson's games were really bad. Uh, yeah, cuz the,
1: the arcade one was like a like a, the Konami thing where it was like sort of like the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, the game. four
0: player thing. Oh, it yeah. was so good. It was like Marge wrote a vacuum. Vacuum. Uh, yeah. I can't remember the other ones. They, they all had a, a thing and the gameplay was very satisfying, and you're right. It was sure. exactly like Turtles in Time, or there mm-hmm. was a Turtles before that. But yeah. it did not work for uh, the home system at all, I'll tell you what. No.
1: Indeed not uh, We talked about Double Dragon 2 Let's talk about Double Dragon 3 The Sacred Stones 1991 Nintendo The English version of this game Has a mission to save Marion Despite her having been killed In the opening scene of the previous game
0: Yeah, you know, whatever. She got better
1: <laughs> Now, in the two-player mode uh, A lot of folks know The character Billy's name Is misspelled as Bimmy um, The NES port has a complicated power-up That enables the, power- the player To spawn another character For a limited time So you start off with you only get one life, so you you die once you're done. But as you work your way through the game, you recruit other characters, and uh, so like if
0: you die as Bimmy, uh, you'll you come respawn back as, as whoever you friend, recruited, yeah. basically. Uh, yeah, so you can cycle through them. I mean, it it was they were trying to emulate the uh, there's sort of a shop system in the arcade version of this, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, really? Okay. It's it's they were, it, it was a kind of a complicated like a rage mm-hmm. I believe there's a rage meter involved or something to this effect. Uh and this was their their concession to it, but it was just kind of like a little clunkier than the other than hmm. not as elegant. Uh I also remember like the whole thing with like they even added another board on the uh NES version where you had to go save Marion or something had to happen. Uh <laughs> bes- besides the fact that she died in the last one. She's gone, yeah. She's not even like she's not even part of the story. Like there is a story there. There it's basically ripping off uh Indiana Jones Temple of Doom where you're trying to find these sacred stones. To restore peace to the village or whatever the heck it is. <laughs> uh, and they just like tacked Marion in there. They were like, ah, oh, they like, gotta have a chick or whatever. So, sure. uh, not quite so great. Uh, this one wasn't so bad as I remember uh, seeing it, but uh, Todd McFarlane Spawn, colon, the video game, 1995, Super Nintendo. This is a side scrolling beat em up platformer, and the gameplay is okay. Spawn can perform seven different moves fairly well. But it came too late, because the 32-bit video game revolution was imminent. And so, uh, they didn't uh, do so great. But get a load of that title, huh? Todd
1: McFarlane, spawned colon, the
0: video game. Just like, this is, you don't have to wonder <laughs> what you're getting. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, we've also got Justice League, colon, Task Force. 1995 for uh, Super Nintendo and Genesis. Capitalizing on this weird time, the Justice League had three teams. One of them, Task Force. That title ran 38 issues from June 1993 through July of 1996. A lot of it written by Christopher Priest. Oh, now uh, this is a competitive head-to-head fighting game that involves some sort of plot with Darkseid. Problem is, with this game boiled down to the graphics and the controls not being all that great.
0: Yeah, that's just like flat, not good. Not, not yeah. nothing funny to say. Just not a fun game to play. A mm-hmm. uh, game that also was kind of crazy Was The Crow, City of Angels Came out in 1997 for PlayStation And the Sega Saturn A traditional 6 directional side side-scrolling beat-em-up But from an elevated perspective yeah. Sort of like behind It made it very uh, Not behind, impossible. Like, it made it very hard to judge yeah. where you were punching uh, All the characters in this game Were animated with Acclaim's motion capture technology And it does not look good <laughs> At all oh. Uh this is no Mortal Kombat, my friends. According to GamePro, <laughs> asinine gameplay and horrible graphics have made the game a turkey, and those are quotes. Another <laughs> quote from Sega Saturn Magazine, uh, their comment was, best avoided.
1: I mean, you could you could show a screenshot of this game and not even know what you're looking at.
0: Really, it's I remember it, so pixelated, it's, it's just, ugh, it's gross. It's bad, and, and like that elevated view, which was obviously a big deal for them to do at the time. For technology's sake, sure It just killed the game, like you couldn't play it You'd figure it out
1: Absolutely, we're going to jump over to South Park 1998 for the Nintendo 64 And the Sony Playstation This is, believe it or not, a first person shooter Based on the show, of course Uh, You're a South Park character Armed with a slingshot There's also a head-to-head mode for two players the game was met with overwhelmingly negative critical reception with the PC and PlayStation version, while the Nintendo 64 version generally received positive reviews. Maybe due to the analog controls or the, the analog so. controller,
0: I think so. It. I think it was also yeah. a more stable platform for the kind of polygon thing they were doing here. Maybe very possible. Yeah. Sure. Now the uh,
1: PlayStation and PC versions received poor reception due to the bad graphics, poor visuals, and bad voice acting.
0: Yeah, I, I don't remember ever seeing a PlayStation. I saw this on the N sixty four, and it wasn't mine; it was someone else's. But hmm. I do remember at the time having the impression like that was the way to see it. Like, don't, don't, don't bother with any other versions. Yeah, uh, this is the real one. And uh, finally, today we're going to talk about BMX X, XXX, XXX two thousand two. Came out for the GameCube, PlayStation two, and the Xbox. This is a biking game based on the engine for their previous BMX game. Dave Mira Freestyle BMX. But Dave Mira would remove himself from this project because, during development of this new game, publisher Reclaim Entertainment decided to style the game after a raunchy sex comedy movie. Rumor is they could tell the gameplay was going to stink, so they stuffed in the sexual and jokey content in an effort to recoup the time and money spent. And folks, if you haven't played it, go watch some footage, and you see how ridiculously intrusive it is. I mean, this isn't a matter of, like... It's sexualized, it's ridiculous You know what I mean, it yeah. non-stop uh, yeah. And among that The game allows the player to create female Characters that are fully topless And view live action kips, clips of real life Strippers also with bare breasts So, that was nice For Billy to get under the tree in Christmas Right, be Triple yep. X or...
1: <laughs> Yeah, that was that was, a, that was a Vin Diesel movie,
0: right? Right, exactly <laughs> or, or Ice Cube or whatever <laughs> <Maybe. laughs>
1: Now, uh you know, we, uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, the venerated list of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen video games Because uh, there were a lot of them There and were, were gonna a lot list them of them for you. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you, you're surprised they have one? Well, <laughs> oh boy, oh be boy. surprised more We have the new adventures of Mary-Kate and Ashley That came out in 1999 on the Game Boy Color Mary-Kate and Ashley, colon, Dance Party of the Century 1999 on the PC Mary-Kate and Ashley, Get a Clue 2000, Game Boy Color
0: we got Mary Kay and Ashley Magical Mystery Mall 2000 for the PlayStation. Mary kate Ashley Pocket Planner 2000 for Game Boy Color. I bet it's just a pocket planner too, like it's just like I a bet, it is. I bet it uh, is. Mary Mary-Kate and Ashley Winter Circle 2001 for PlayStation Game Boy Color.
1: Mary-Kate and Ashley Crush Course, 2001, for the PlayStation, PC, and Game Boy Color. Don't, aren't you happy you kept you held on to that Game Boy
0: oh, Color? Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Mary-Kate and Ashley Girls' Night Out, 2002, Game Boy Advance. Mary-Kate and Ashley Sweet 16, hyphen, License to Drive, 2002, Game Boy Advance, GameCube, and PlayStation 2.
0: And finally, Mary-Kate and Ashley in action! <laughs> It was cancelled, meant to be released in the fall 2003 for GameCube, PlayStation 2, PC, Game Boy Advance. But I think uh, they actually amassed so much money that it was threatening to spill over and suffocate them. So they decided they don't have to uh, worry about making more video games. It's all Uh,
1: wild to see home consoles getting there. Like, you you almost expect... This kind of thing on a Game Boy?
0: Sure, yeah, but... But, the, but it's like PlayStation 2? I, what? I can't imagine like, playing, yeah, sitting at home at a PlayStation show with a big screen. you know, being But, but then again, well, these could be great games, Chris. We have no idea. I can't claim to have we ever played any of them. We are speaking out of turn. Of so, uh, <laughs> and now just a handful of Acclaim's poor marketing attempts that are pretty funny and uh, kind of well-known. Uh, for Turok Evolution, uh, for that release, Acclaim offered $13,000 for someone who named their newborn baby Turok in the United States. In the United Kingdom, uh, a claim offered a thousand pounds, though, and a new Xbox console for someone who legally changed their name to Turok. So if you change your name, uh, it's unknown for sure whether anyone took them up on this offer, but all sides point to no. <laughs>
1: Tell you what, if that came out, if they did that like now, with social media the way
0: it is... It would be done. done. Someone
1: would do it. People would be racing to do it. Uh, We have uh, Shadow Man, second coming, where the S is a 2. Now, Acclaim wanted to advertise this game... On tombstones and graves. Yeah, it's uh, pretty bad. Sorry, your grandmother passed away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now uh, we have gladiator, sword of vengeance, and with this, a claim plan to put ads of this violent video game at bus stops that would periodically
0: bleed. <laughs> what? Bleed. I, I don't. I mean, uh, you know, the technical aspect aside, I just something. Why do we want that? Why is that a a, a You want to see waiting for the bus Did they
1: have like Rob Liefeld as a consultant
0: Probably you know we gotta make it more extreme (laughs) (laughs) Anyway uh, Last two we got Virtua Tennis A acclaimed painted home Did this painted homing pigeons to look like tennis balls, so they could disrupt the Wimbledon tennis championships in the UK They were actually trained pigeons They they flapped aggressively In front of the attendees Revealing a Virtua Tennis logo On their bellies <laughs> not surprisingly, this led to several lawsuits. They, 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 oh, they, they, I'll tell you, those tennis people are not—they're not, not jokey people. They don't
1: mess around. No, either.
0: they're not. They're not <laughs> laughing it up. Uh, Burnout two point of impact, and this one—I I, don't—I wonder if they did anything. I doubt it. Acclaim said they would pay anyone's speeding ticket on the day Burnout two was released in the UK. Wow. Yeah, which I bet the UK was not happy with that. They were like, "No, no, no, no. we will not allow you to do that."
1: No. Yeah, So that is the tumultuous turn for a uh, mm-hmm. claim <laughs> from humble beginnings to whatever the hell that was.
0: Yeah. Uh, they're still around, right? I think they're still. <laughs> no, right. no, they're gone. Oh, they're, they're gone? gone? <laughs> Never mind. Yeah,
1: they, they, they filed for <laughs> bankruptcy. They're out. Uh, and. Uh, Apparently not a minute too soon uh, God only knows what they'd be doing now
0: It's true, I thought maybe someone bought Acclaim's assets and then opened up a new company Called Acclaim, that's what happened with Value. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you imagine them with like drone technology And
0: stuff Oh boy, oh god oh, The marketing Lordy. campaigns would just be horrible
1: Oh, scary stuff uh, Now we'll wrap up this episode With some uh, listener mail We've got two, count them, two Pieces All right. of mail. First one from Bobby Bain and uh you you wanna give uh, where to find her.
0: Uh, she does... You does find her on Twitter sure. at nerdy talk to me. And two and is a two.
1: And the show, right? The uh
0: she the do, show. She has she doesn't do that show anymore. Oh okay. She's okay. she's off the radio, but uh she can be found on Twitter at nerdy talk number two me.
1: Now she says, Hey Chris and Reggie, I just wanted to drop a note to tell you guys how much I love the Cosmic Treadmill Podcast. I mostly hate my job, but it does allow me to listen to a lot of podcasts. While some podcasts I never quite get to, the cosmic treadmill is a Monday morning must. You might as well call me a bona fide treadhead. All right. Is that a thing yet? Tread yet? Can it be a thing already? It is I now. think yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think yes, I love it.
0: I think you've started it out, the treadheads. Uh she goes on, I really enjoyed episode 73, which covered AA's recommendation of Fantastic Four 51. That's uh, Aaron's recommendation. <laughs> it was so fun hearing both of you voice different versions of The Thing. Chris as the real Ben Grimm and Reggie as his evil doppelganger. Yeah, that's, we, we wanted to uh, differentiate that. <laughs> While Reggie's voice seems tailor-made for The Thing, Chris really nailed the gentleness of Yancey's Street's granite goliath. I always love the voices you guys do, especially Reggie, Caesar Romero, Joker, or that one-time Christian Charo. <laughs> Chris also has a great repertoire of wrestlers' voices, too, you can pull up. <laughs> uh, what can I say? I've always had a thing for hot Latin trannies. Uh, <laughs> tongue face. Uh, you should see my wife. Coochie Coochie.
1: Coochie Coochie! I also really liked episode 80 with D-Ron Darren Murphy's suggestion of Batman Digital Justice I never did like that book but your review Your review with Bob Brzezak has made it So enjoyable Also thank you for another edition of Rad Ads I've listened to the first one quite a few times And the second one was possibly even better Those were a lot of fun
0: Yeah we have a good time with those because it's, <laughs> it's And it's a part of comics that are Truly vanished now so it's almost Absolutely. like Doing archaeology or something <laughs> Uh, anyway, I just wanted to thank you for both all, uh, Thank you both for all the fun And although I'm sure it's a lot of hard work It's also a lot of good work So keep up the good work, gentlemen I really appreciate it That's all I got for you guys So until next time, keep it on the treadmill all
1: right. <laughs> And She followed up with a second email with a request But we don't reveal requests That's On the air uh, right. Because we like to keep them surprised mm-hmm. uh, Our next piece of mail is from Jeremiah Jones Goldstein He says, I finished listening to the last two episodes and I enjoyed them very much. The quick bunny and Superman comics sounded pretty goofy, but fun. The Western Tales episode was really great. I think it's really fun when you do these comics that have multiple stories. It's fun to hear all the different creator bios and get different stories all in one episode.
0: I agree that it is a lot of fun to hear, Mm -hmm. but uh, getting all those bios out, boy, woo, that that (laughs) deadline comes a-looming, yep. Uh, I also, he goes on to say, I also really like the hooks for each episode. The history lessons were both really enjoyable. I don't know much about the Old West, so it was pretty cool to hear about Tombstone and Boomtowns and Daniel Boone, and we also didn't know much about it either, so that was pretty cool for us. Reggie said something in the Weird Western Tales episode When you were talking about Sergio Aragonis That really got me excited He said maybe we should do a Gru episode And you totally should Gru is my all-time favorite comic I started reading as a kid and have not ever stopped
1: Hmm. He goes on to say Gru would be a fantastic episode With you guys at the helm You could pick pretty much any issue to use for the episode Pretty much every issue would be interesting And funny enough to read And the hooks for the episode could be any number of things you could do lengthy creator bios on Sergio and Marc Ivanier, or Ivanier.
0: We never know which never one. We never know one which it. one, but we know who he is. <laughs> we know who.
1: yes. It, uh, it could be a long-running creator-owned properties that cross companies and years, such as Cerebus with Dave Sim, ElfQuest with Wendy and Richard Peeney, Astro City with Kurt Busiek, etc. It could be the history of letter columns, because Gru Grams has always been funny and clever with Mark Ivanier's responses. Or it could be letter columns, editorial columns, things like Stan's Soapbox, that kind of thing.
0: Uh, He says you could also do the history of Pacific Comics. Uh, Rufueto is a great character. This is uh, Gru's dog. The -hmm. hook could be sidekick dogs in comics. Hell, you could do the history of Nacho Cheese. Hmm. I don't know how long a history that would be, but uh, okay. Uh, So (laughs) yes, I would love to hear a Gru episode. Keep up the great work. I'll be listening. And uh, his P.S. I'm really digging the Marvel Man, Miracle Man episodes, which he's talking about the three most recent episodes of Weird Comics History where we detail mm-hmm. the uh, really interesting and convoluted complicated Absolutely. story of Marvel Man, Miracle Man, UK properties. Mm-hmm. They're in the feed. You go check them out. They should be close to this episode, so uh, mm-hmm. get them get while they're hot, folks. But uh, <laughs> as far as grew you know, this is, I definitely can see us doing it. I think we left it here because we sort of mentioned it, so it's not technically yeah. his pick, but uh, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, uh, you know, all these hooks sound good, but just between Sergio Aguilera and Mark Vernier or Vernier. that might fill the episode. That's the, a long the episode. Two of them are very prolific, very prolific, and, and uh,
1: very out there. They, a lot of a uh, lot of interviews, a lot of oh uh,
0: gosh, oh, yeah. a lot of
1: stuff on both. Of those, I, mean, yeah. Vanier, I mean,
0: Mark I mean, Mark Vernier has got one of the best blogs, just not about him but about comics history. We use it all the time for just mm-hmm. just episode research. Yeah, uh, for research. So I could definitely see that uh, the hook really made to be seen, but. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll dig into we'll find uh, a Gru issue worth doing. And you're right, it, it, they went uh, Pacific Epic. I think they didn't mm-hmm. did, did Dark Marvel Horse do Image them? didn't Marvel do them under the Marvel banner? Do I imagine that? That was probably no. It. That was just Epic. Just Epic. Okay, but yeah, uh, yeah they've been through it, and, and I think now they're an IDW.
1: I think so because they went through Image, they went through Dark Horse. I think they might be at IDW. They've
0: now. really, they've really run the uh, that that characters run the gamut. So absolutely, we'll love to do that. Uh, that will be sometime in the future. But <laughs> if you would like to write to us, and maybe at some point even hear us read your letter on the air, we can't guarantee yes. every time, but sometimes. Uh, or you have suggestions you want to talk about uh, Quantum and what do you want to talk about Priest, M. D. Bright. For anything, a claim, you want to tell us your favorite video games, you write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cosmic t History.
1: We also have a Tumblr page, cosmictmillhistory.tumblr.com.
0: We're on Twitter at Cosmic T-Mill, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie.
1: I'm at Ace Comics.
0: You can uh, find our weekly writings on more recent comics of the DC variety at weirdsciencedccomics.com. And check out Chris's personal blog where he reviews a different DC comic every day of the week. That's Chris's on earths dot com. Recently, having hit 800 consecutive consecutive reviews, mm-hmm. 800. <clears throat> so that's pretty incredible. Um, and and for the 800th one, you did Lady Cub, which was uh, very, I did. <laughs> very exciting to those of us who know you've been looking for that comic for quite a, for a quite a long. while. But but they really they they could have come out as recently as a month ago. They could have come out technically in. Nineteen thirty-six. So I don't see you doing it more fun. Maybe, probably uh, not. Probably not. <laughs> Who knows? Hey, you know, if you she do it enough, enough, you do enough consecutive days, you're gonna start. Out, you're gonna have to start scraping have on to. those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, although I think you still have some uh, leeway yet. But anyway, Chris is in InfiniteEarth.com. You gotta check it out. Great reviews every day of the week.
1: Thank you we also have our uh, our show site weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com where you can find our show notes for both the cosmic treadmill and weird comics history uh also some other fun stuff a uh, little compilation collections of uh of uh, old episodes so they're a little easier to find in the feed than uh than they yeah. would be otherwise
0: as well as uh, as well as a, cr- a chronological uh, yes, listing of episodes collection. too so when we tell you to go back and listen to them you can actually find them in some way if you go to this site yes
1: <laughs> and uh also we we're on youtube you can find us at weird comics history if you search weird comics history all one word
0: yeah are we are we we do we have every episode up yet or just no. a bunch just a, and, yeah. then, and then new ones going forward so yeah uh there's a, there's a lot there but not everything but if you like to hear your uh listen to YouTubes at work like I often do while I work in another window, that's the way to do it, folks, but uh, I think that's all we got from this week, Chris, got anything else for him?
1: Uh, no, uh, I'd, I'd like to thank the uh, the folks for the uh, for the mail, and uh, definitely thanks Bobby for the uh, for the treadhead name. I think
0: that's really cool. Yep, we're gonna start making uh, m- uh, mouse pads and uh, yeah, coffee cups, and mugs. Yeah, that's <laughs> it though. No T-shirts, only mouse pads. Everyone loves a novelty mouse pad, Chris. You know that, right? It's true. It's true. <laughs> that, always, <laughs> that always seals the deal. Uh, well, if that's all we got for for, I think I'm gonna tell them to keep it on the treadmill, quantishly. We're not a couple.